0: You're listening to Biz Here. Yes, welcome along to Biz Here, the podcast series from Hope FM in which we speak to various different individuals from the world of business, people that have been there, seen it and done it all and often have some very inspirational and unique stories to tell. Well, today's guest on the podcast, speaking to Blair Crawford, is the managing director of a bus company based in Bournemouth called Yellow Buses. His name is David Squire. Biz Here, telling your stories.
1: Now, I know buses is your passion and I started it started from a young age. Of all the things that you Could have got into why transport? Oh dear! Yes, (laughs) if
2: only my mother was here. (laughs) (laughs) Mothers have got a a lot to be (laughs) absolutely yes. Well, I mean, it's a strange story, really, because I have some very early childhood memories of uh, a big treat for us, because I grew up on uh, the Wirral, and a big treat would be once a month on a Saturday we would uh, get the the bus from our local bus stop, which was a Crossville bus, uh, down to Woodside Ferry get the ferry over to Liverpool and wander around the shops and uh, uh, have something to eat and uh, apparently as a, as a small child I used to sit at the front seat on the top deck and pretend to drive the bus so some years later when I ended up working for Croswell as a management trainee which was my first job af- after school, my mother said to me,
1: I knew you would do this <laughs> <laughs> I mean obviously bu- bus services I guess were, were largely run by by local authorities themselves you know I think if you go back Bournemouth uh, far enough it was it was it then called the Bournemouth Corporation?
2: V- very much so I mean I, I joined the industry in uh, 78 so 42 years in, in May of this year and in those days everything was state controlled so even nationally uh, so there were big companies which were part of what was called a national bus company so Crosville which I worked for uh, around here it was Wilkes and Dorses um, Ribble up in, in Lancashire you know these companies were all big uh, regional companies but they were part of of a a company called National Bus Company and there was a similar one in Scotland called Scottish Bus Group. Um, And then on top of that, there were a a large number of local authorities um, which owned their own buses. Um, So they were corporation transport departments. So, you know, there were some big ones in Birmingham and Liverpool and Manchester but of course here in Bournemouth as well. So it was very much uh, a transport department of the the local authority,
1: and then 1986 came along and deregulation. What what did that actually mean for the industry?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, if you recall, back in the 80s, we we had uh, Margaret Thatcher as prime minister, and she was very much trying to wind back state control. So lots of the big. Um, state industries, like British Leyland, British Steel, British Airways, British Gas, they were all privatised. Um, and with buses, she she actually said that actually you know, this is a big cost to the public purse and commercial companies should be able to provide buses at no cost to the public purse and supply and demand and competition will sort out the market. So um, they tested it first with coaches. So the National Coach Network, which nowadays is called National Express, um, was uh, deregulated first and various private operators started to run different routes to and from London Um, over the years. Most of those have dropped away. Um, And that was the precursor to bus deregulation. So that happened on the 26th of October, 1986, which is a date stamped on our our brains for, for forevermore. And at that point in time anybody uh, could run a bus service as long as they, they set um, uh, the minimum conditions in terms of um, uh, having uh, premises and um, qualified staff and uh, financial arrangements. Um, but also, the in order to have a level playing field, the local authority-owned companies then had to be set up as separate companies from the council that owned them. They still had the shares, but the companies then had to have their own board of directors, and it had to be transparent so they couldn't be propped up by the public purse uh, if a private operator w- was uh, competing with them. Now, go- going back to yourself, um, you got to drive a bus, didn't you? Oh, very much so. I mean, part of my training, I mean, when I started at Crossville... It was a, a very in-depth uh, training course. It was, it was three years and literally you did periods of time in every job. So literally I would be doing writing out the, the wage slips uh, which were all done weekly and paying the drivers in cash, uh, paying cash into the bank, uh, doing all of the, the back office jobs working in, in engineering. And uh, when I was 18, I was then allowed to take my conductor's badge, which meant that I could then be a conductor on a bus. So you, you ended up with this badge um, with a number on it, and I was then allowed to uh, conduct and uh, uh, be let loose on, on the passengers. And then when I was 21, so I'd finished my training by then and, and become a, uh, the, the, the company's youngest depot manager ever, um, I was then able to take my uh, driving test. Nowadays, it could be done at 18, but then it was 21, and you had to learn on the manual gearbox bus. So um, nowadays, they they all tend to have automatic licenses, but uh, I was able to drive a proper bus where you uh, you had to double-declutch when you're changing gear. You had to do gear exercises on the test where you had to... um, Increase the speed and get up to top gear, and then uh, decrease the speed and go down through the gearbox all the way to first gear, which was a crawler gear without using the brakes. And, you know, it was amazing because you ended up with, with arms like Popeye, I think, you know, in those <laughs> days. You know. I couldn't do it now. My, my, my knees wouldn't be able
1: to cope with the clutch. You know?
0: <laughs> You're listening to Biz here.
1: My very special guest is uh, David Squire, the managing director of Yellow Buses. Now, many, many challenges. I mean, obviously, here you are in Bournemouth. You, you've been a couple of times in in Bournemouth, haven't you?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, I remember uh, f- very fond memories of coming to Bournemouth on holiday with my parents back back in the in the seventies, and I, I remember um, going to the old um, Hanson Dorset bus station where BH two currently stands before it burnt down. So I, I do have a bit of history with the, with the town. Um, More recently, I worked um, at um, Bournemouth Transport uh, in the old depot at Mallard Road. Um, I was the traffic manager, um, which meant I I was kind of in charge of all the bus drivers at the time. Uh, So that was back in uh, 2000. And then my mother unfortunately passed away, so I ended up going back up to the northwest. Um, And then I came back in 2017. Um, So by that point, I'd uh, had a career all over the UK, um, sort of working for lots of different bus and coach companies, some, some big names that are well-known at First Group and uh, Arriva and uh, Shearings Holidays. I worked for them, or Wallace Arnold Holidays. Um, and I ended up working for RATP, which was the, the French transport group which owned um, uh, Bourbon Transport at, at the time. And I initially started in a role um, in the Northwest. I was back in my home area, so I was commercial director for, for the Northwest. And uh, then the opportunity came up uh, to do a secondment in Bournemouth because the, uh, the previous MD uh, had left. And um, I uh, put my hand up and said, yes, more than happy to, to, to do that. So I came down, I think it was November uh, 17, um, and uh, sort of masterminded what's
1: been a, uh, a large transformation of, of, of the company. Because a man and boy, you've been right the way through, you know, from those dreams of being a bus driver, now to managing director. The journey that you've been on, obviously, how well has that equipped you for the job that you're now doing? You're the man at the top. Obviously, you have a management team around you and a a large workforce. Uh, As you look back, do you feel well equipped? Oh, very
2: much so. Because I, th- I think I think the first thing is this is this is a, a people industry, and I, I'm very passionate about the people in this industry. and I? I hate it when I walk into the canteen and the driver will say to me, "I'm only a driver." That 4 lesser word "only"
1: doesn't exist. To me it's in, like in a mom saying, "I'm only a mom," isn't I, it?
2: I, exactly. I mean, you know, they, I mean, they do the most important job. That they, 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 you know, it's not me. It, it, they do the most important job. So I always. Um, uh, I'm passionate about the people. But I think, you know, to answer your question, um, I've lived and worked in different parts of the country um, at lots of different bus companies over the years. And what what I think you get is you pick out the good and bad from all of these places that you've worked at and try to instill all the good bits into where you currently work. I think um, having worked for... Um, municipal um, bus operators and PLC bus operators and independent bus operators, you get a real kind of um, feel of the different aspects of the industry. I mean, that said, um, there are always things that come up. There are always new things. I, I'm, I'm very much a person who, you know, I've got that thirst for learning and I've got the same passion now at the age of 58 that I had 20 years ago. And I am absolutely... Uh, determines that this company um, will go from strength to strength because we've got such a great team of people uh, and they are what will deliver um, this business going forward.
1: Now, obviously, you've been through metamorphosis of changes. You're you're still going through it. Um, What was it that that, that led to the changes?
2: Well, uh, I think if we go back um, to um, RITP's ownership of the company, um, they inherited a company that was doing pretty well at the time. Um and then it started to dip and I think the eye was taken off the ball basically and there were a lot of reasons for it. I mean, um some of it is not to do with the bus network, it was to do with um coach contracts that they had at the time that they no longer have. Um and the effect of all of that was to actually drag the business down and they did a lot of big changes to the to the bus network, which didn't work and had been quite poorly put fought through. Um, so, basically, when I arrived, I had to pick up all of the pieces and really look at every aspect of the business and understand what was going on, what was going wrong, what was going well, and then try and um, fix each each part of it so that you know the first part we did was way back it seems a long time ago now in April two thousand and eighteen when we completely revamped the the bus network to pretty well what it is today. Um, one of the things which never worked was um, the buses were all what we call interworks. So uh, a, a vehicle would arrive at the hospital uh, from Poole and then it would go a different way uh, to Bournemouth. And of course, if, if, uh, if it come in late because it got stuck at Cooper Dean, then the next service was delayed. And the whole thing was kind of uh, 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 croaking uh, uh, and falling apart. Um, obviously mm. due to due to congestion but actually we needed to fix that because what the public want, quite rightly is a punctual and reliable service, so all the changes we've done since then are all about keeping the service punctual uh, because that's, that's what uh, our customers want.
1: Now obviously as part of that change, there, there was quite a number of things to do, but, but actually making the decision for the management buyer because it began with that, didn't it? Was, was that a a difficult decision to make. It,
2: it was. It was a. Uh, it was a long process, um, but it, but in some respects, it, it was quite quite surreal um, because eff- effectively. Um, the, the, the French group had decided that Bournemouth Transport didn't fit in with, with their business portfolio in, in that all of their other uh, operations are all franchise operations main, mainly in cities and Bournemouth really was completely separate to that because it was a commercial company in a commercial market and to a degree um, the people um, at R didn't understand the, that aspect of business they, they understood how to run um, franchises in cities like London and Paris. Um, so I think um, having done a lot of changes, which then got us to the point where we could see an upward trajectory within, within the business in terms of the business performance and restoring profitability, that they then thought now is the time to exit this business and, and sell us on. So um, as MD, I was part of a process where we'd be writing um, a, um, a sale document, in effect, to, to sell the company. And, I, and I, was, I was sort of thinking, well, I'm selling the company but, but I, I've I've done all the hard work in. Um, so there were a number of people who, who um, seriously looked at it and for various reasons uh, they dropped out or, or they weren't as serious as was first thought. And I could see that this would get to the point where actually who was going to be the, the company to take over. And at that point I, I, I suggested that would they be interested in, in a management buyout. And uh, they said yes, so we got the team together and the rest talked it through and decided, yeah, let's well, let's do this. So, so we did it. So that aspect of the process was quite quick, but it had been ongoing for for several months before before we got to that.
1: Now, of course, there's very little new under the sun. And did you look at sort of other companies where there had been management background, even even as far as the as the states?
2: Um, yes, yes, and no. I mean, I think the the thing is that the the the, the UK bus industry is pretty. Um, uh, unique in that it's the only commercial bus op- operation in, in, in the world. You know, across Europe,
1: everything is franchised. So they may be looking at us to see how we do Well, yeah,
2: maybe. Um, and I, I think, you know, that, um, if you go back to... Um, bus deregulation and the privatization of the national bus company subsidiaries in in those days, quite a lot of them went to management buyouts. And then over the years, they sold them on. So that's how First and Arriva and Stagecoach got formed, because they were companies that that kept getting taken over to to become what they are today. Um, So in our case, we very much booked the trends. But interestingly, the industry is going through another uh, sort of churn of ownership Invert Arriva um, sold out some years ago to uh, Deutsche Bahn which is German State Railways um, they now want to sell Arriva on um, first group um, had uh, some major acquisitions in America which uh, had a, a big effect on, on the, the company as a whole and it looks like um, they are going to split themselves up and p- possibly sell off some of the subsidiaries. Um, so there could well be new management buyouts happening. So we, I think we, we, you know, we always say in boom if we punch above our waist. I think we might have started the trend off
1: here.
0: You're listening to Biz Here.
1: When well, I getting back to your management buyout, obviously, and taking over the company, you had the challenge of obviously negotiating to get the right the right deal. But what what were the real building blocks, the real obstacles that you had to overcome, the challenges that you had to face?
2: Yeah, I would say that there were several. I think, first of all, in the in the run up to the buyout, um, there were a lot of things we had to get in in place. So we had to um, negotiate. Um, insurances and uh, banking arrangements, and moving from a kind of a blue chip um, company where you're dealing with um, banks in, in Canary Wharf to, to dealing with local banks. Uh, um, you know, it's a complete eye opener that, that, that the world that these people operate in is completely different. And it's, and it's what, hard what negotiation
1: to get the right terms. V- isn't v-
2: it? Very much so. And, um, you know, things like insurance. Um, you know that that was uh, that. You know there are very few insurance companies that are prepared to insure uh, buses and coaches because they're obviously seen, seen as a high risk. It's not like um, you can uh, go to a comparison website and get the cheapest deal for your car, you can't do that in, in in my industry and a lot of bus companies are what's called self-insured where effectively a lot of the uh, damage uh, that can happen uh, is picked up by, by the company, so to get that over the line we took a lot of, of, of uh, persuading, but we we ended up, uh, ironically, with a, a, um, a new entrant to, them, to the insurance market because we've we got a really good broker who, who got us a, uh, a good deal <coughs> um, I think, you know, the, the other sort of uh, challenge was actually the the, the sale process itself um, because we we were using a. Uh, a transport solicitor who who's actually based up in in the northwest, which is um, uh, a national firm that kind of does most things to do with the bus industry, and they they do um, buying and selling companies, compliance, and everything else. And uh, so they were representing us. Um, wh- whereas on the other side of the table, um, we had um, the French um, side of things who wanted to do things their way and the way things are done in France. And they had appointed uh, a very highbrow um, solicitors in in a very glossy or uh, um, swanky office in, in in London, and it was like two completely different worlds. Um, and there was a lot of toing and froing, and you know, uh, uh, contracts going in both directions, and areas that needed a decision to be made on, and and you know. Uh, Negotiating things which we didn't even think would be an issue Um, And there were a lot of twists and turns I mean, it was probably one of the most stressful parts of my life, you know going through Kind of a really intense um, Three-month period, you know almost the easy bit was going to Paris and negotiating the deal Um, The hard bit was kind of three months after after that and finally getting pen to paper Um, I remember um, There was a real push from the French that they wanted the deal done on the 1st of July, which really made what would have, in normal um, circumstances, been a much longer process, very compressed into a short time scale. But we we delivered it, But, but literally over that weekend, we were still having phone calls as to things that could potentially go wrong or had gone wrong. My solicitor got a train... Um, to London on the Monday morning which was the 3rd of July and he was encamped in the boardroom of this um, uh, posh London Solicitor's Office uh, we arrived in the afternoon and he'd been hard at it all, all day and I think we eventually signed the agreement at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon um, so even at like 10 to 4 we still want 100% certain that either we were going to sign or they were going to sign. So, you know, almost signing it was was uh, not not a relief, that's the wrong word, but, but sort of uh, it was a, uh, a major achievement to get to that point.
0: You're listening to Biz Here.
1: Now, obviously, we, we've been talking about all, all, all the, the, the management changes.
0: What, what does
1: the public expect of their bus services? What, I mean, what have you, if you had to do a list and think, well, Joe Public, this is, they, these are the important ingredients that you, you must give attention to.
2: Well I don't actually have to do that list because that's provided for us each year by an independent organisation called Transport Focus and they do um, surveys of bus tram and train passengers for that matter all over the country so the, the local one was done uh, prior to Christmas and next month uh, we should have the results of that but what they do do is they ask p- uh, passengers to uh, list the different services list the different um, attributes of services and to rank them and Nationally and locally, it's always the same answer. So what comes top is punctuality and reliability of services, because obviously that that, that is always uh, top. And of course, in this area, we have a big issue, which is congestion.
1: Well of course we're, 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 it's not just a, pr, um, a small problem because we, our area is one of the, the worst areas in the whole country for congestion and, and I guess that, that that causes you some problems in terms of the of the journey times.
2: Well that's right, I mean, I mean if you look at any measure of congestion and, and there are various um, reports and studies which get um, released from time to time and they're generally on the front page of the Echo when they come out, uh, Bournemouth is always in the top ten of worst congested places within the UK the interesting thing is that when you look at that list, it tends to be cities, you know, Belfast is, is always one that's in there, um, Birmingham and, and, and so Areas on. Areas of
1: high population. A, a, yeah. Exactly.
2: And then you see the one place in the list that's not a city is, is Bournemouth. So, you know, from that point of view, you know, it's, it's not a, a good situation to be in. So, you know, Bournemouth itself, population about 200,000, the wider conurbation is about 400,000. So I suppose in those terms, it is a small city. But... Um, our issue is, you know, the, the, the physical volume of traffic um, causing the congestion that it does um, over quite a wide period of, of, of the day. You know, the, the old days of um, everyone going home at half past five are, are long gone. You know, the, the people start going to pick up kids from school at two o'clock, half past two, and then it's all the way through to, to seven o'clock some nights. Um, but also on, on top of that, um it's the volume of roadworks we've got you know unfortunately there's a lot of really old infrastructure and yes it's got to be replaced but it's the chaos that causes while it's happening i mean i mean you know really good example When the A338 was being rebuilt for the Wessex Fields um, slipway um, last year, that was two years ago wasn't it, Um, the traffic that was displaced off there went into the local um, road network and what we ended up having to do was the buses that leave the depot to go out to start their journeys um, first thing in the morning, including school buses, were having to leave the depot 20 minutes earlier you know, one of the school routes, which goes to Parkfield School um, by the airport. Um, the kids were getting to school 20 minutes late because of all this extra uh, congestion that was caused, caused by the roadwork. So we had to bring that journey forward. And remarkably, now the 338 has been back to normal for, for some months the traffic has stayed on the local road network and not gone back. So, you know, that, that's, that's a, a tremendous strain on our resources and a cost to our business.
1: So do you see a time whenever you'll get us out of our, our cars and into onto buses, really? I, I, because obviously a lot of this congestion is caused because we're car mad and so on. And, and there are, the green agenda, of course, is, is always with us. Uh, and no doubt you've faced that as a, as a company as well in terms of of emissions. But w- w- what are the real the real challenges in getting us out of cars? And
2: yeah, very much so. I mean, I think it's, it's one of those things where actually there's no silver bullet here. And, you know, it's, it's good that the green agenda is, is now very much up in, in the forefront of people's minds. And obviously we have a local uh, climate emergency declared here. And I, I know you are seeing um, Vicky later in the week. No doubt we'll that Tomorrow, talk about actually, she's our guest. Yep, yeah, yeah. She'll, she'll talk about that. I think the, the the real problem we've got is actually in order to make bus services more attractive, they need to be able to get people to their destination. And, of course, they are stuck in exactly the same traffic as everybody else is. We, you know, we don't have a fleet of helicopters to pick people up and take them directly to where they want to go. So I think... Um, uh, one of the positives that, that will happen is the Transforming Cities Fund, which was a fund that the government set up and the local authority and us and the other operators of, as partners have a bid into. And there should be a positive outcome on that within the next uh, couple of months. And that, that will pump a lot of money into this area to allow for better bus corridors. But also it's about active Uh, travel, which is walking and cycling, because a lot of journeys that are made around this conurbation are just people going a mile or two, which actually, if you've got a better um, cycle network, that would remove some of the traffic, um, and the same in terms of being able to speed up buses. So I think, you know, taking all those things together... And particularly, a lot of younger people now don't want to own a car because they prefer to be in a situation where they're, they're more green in the way they travel. But actually, there's a real future for our industry going going forward.
1: And in terms of your fleet, I mean, how many buses have you actually got on
2: the on the road? Yeah, well, in, in terms of the total fleet, it's about 140 vehicles, of which 25 of those are coaches, which are mainly white National Express coaches, because we run the service to London from here, um, and the rest are local buses. Uh, a number of them do um, school journeys only and, and nothing else. Um, so in terms of the real number that's out on the streets every
1: day, it, it's, it's about 100. So as you plan forward, have you got some of those electric buses in mind? Uh, I'd love to have electric buses. The, the cost
2: at the moment is very prohibitive. I mean, I mean it, it's, it's one of those things which is coming. And I think the the industry is sort of catching up with the technologies. I mean, a lot of people nowadays have electric cars, which are obviously doing relatively small journeys. And if you think about most, most cars spend most of their working lives uh, parked up somewhere, either at an office or at somebody's house, where a bus is out for 18 hours a day, and the technology isn't quite there yet to be able to deliver what we need uh and there's a massive par- price premium um, so you know at the moment it's not on the, the in the near future but I, I can see it coming in sort of uh, five years or so and I think that as as the technology and and the uh, the the infrastructure in, improves that this will very much be part of the future.
1: I can't believe that our time I- I is going in I'm worrying really sort of scratching the surface but I must ask you about National Express because obviously people see the National Express buses they, they may not realize that that of course is a franchise and you you operate um uh, part of that network locally don't you
2: we do we we run the 035 which is pretty well a 24 7 service now um it's is and bournemouth to london some journeys start at weymouth there uh, there is journeys which go specifically to the university on the friday and the sunday and some journeys go to ringwood and various other places but it's um it's a very uh, lucrative part of our business uh, but also it's, it's a growing part of the business i mean national express um, I've seen some tremendous growth on the Bournemouth service, some of it due to the woes of SWR but also actually there is a, there's a growing uh, volume of people who, who want to travel and you know, it, it's about two hours uh, on the train to London from here and it's also about two hours on the coach so coach wins on, on the price differential. <laughs>
1: Well, David, thank you for taking so much of your time to talk to me in this special programme. I know you're going to be back to, to tell us more. I, I suppose I, before I let you go, I should talk to you about your challenges in terms of bad behaviour on buses. And people will have read uh, in the press about the, the pool bus station scenario. And, of course, that's come about because of... of um, inappropriate behaviour and so on. Um, do you get a lot of challenges? So your, do your drivers get lots of, of challenge from people who are just not conducting themselves right?
2: It, it it comes and goes. I mean, I suppose to put it in context, we, we've got um, roughly 250 bus drivers and we're carrying 14 million people a, a year. So the amount of incidents we have is, is very small. Um, so, you know, it, it's not a major issue. Um, however... Um, we have had drivers uh, attacked. Uh, in some cases, not even on the bus. Um, we've had drivers racially abused. You know, a proportion of our workforce are not UK nationals, and you know, it, it's 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 actually a problem. But in terms of uh, our customers as well, you know, we've had uh, buses where um, windows have been bricked and people covered in glass and people injured uh, as a result of that. And then the issues in Pool are more to do with uh, big groups of people hanging around the, the bus station uh, and causing sort of uh, issues there. Uh, and it's just not a pleasant environment. I mean you know, we only run two buses now at a pool we're not the main operator there and we, we took the decision not just because of the antisocial behaviour but actually to try and penetrate pool better to take people to where they want to go to because obviously the bus station is quite away from Pool Key where all the events and things tend to happen. Um, so were' moving the service from the bus station to call into the rail station which is something that a lot of customers have been asking for for, for a long time and then to uh, get to more or less a block from 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 the quayside side uh, following the one-way system which which will you know be really attractive particularly
1: for the summer with all the events that were happening on the quay well, David, thank you so much for joining me on the programme. Any final words of encouragement to get on the buses? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for
2: having me, Blair, and uh, thank you to uh, to all listeners for uh, for putting up with me over the last hour. Um, and, yes, we, we've got uh, uh, a number of changes we're doing at the end of February to imp- improve and restore punctuality, uh, but then coming up we've got our summer network with open-top buses and lots of new exciting things uh, for locals and visitors alike to get out and see the local area. So, uh, so yes. Please do travel by bus. To
0: listen again, download, and to share this podcast visit bizhere.com Well a massive thank you to David Squire from Yellow Buses for being our guest on this latest edition of the Biz Here podcast if you want more interviews inside in the world of business and beyond uh, speaking to various different organisations and charities too over the course of this podcast series there's a couple of places you can go you can subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher and also via Apple Music which used to be iTunes it's called Apple Music now or of course you can always go to bizhere.com